So I was at a week-long theater conference in Fort Collins, and the hotel bar played nothing but sports, and it was a beautiful thing because you saw everybody who was tired of theater go up to the bar and then watch meaningless college basketball. And I learned a lot about all the schools in Idaho, the Eastern Washington football team, and it really just showed me the connective power of sports. That's a great story. The thing that I learned was that they do theater in Fort Collins for at least a week every year. Yeah, well, actually, it's not a, not always in Fort Collins. Sometimes it's in Idaho, and sometimes it's in eastern Oregon. They travel all over the place. What's this conference called? Uh, the Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival. Wow. Yeah, it's huge, actually. Well, bringing culture and sports all around oh, the yeah. western United <laughs> States. We're just bringing it to Denver. We are the Denvers. I'm Derek. And I'm Quinn. And it was a week without the Nuggets really playing, but luckily all the other teams in town sort of picked up the slack for storylines. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we'll start where we were this about this time last weekend, but last Saturday, uh, in the stadium series at Air Force, the Air Force Academy football stadium, hockey game between the Colorado Avalanche and the Los Angeles Kings, the Avalanche's second stadium series, and... I would say that most of the coverage about the game had very little to do with the game. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. There were stories of people stuck in traffic, not getting to the game until the second period, having to walk for five miles, turning around and going home, uh, people not being able to find wheelchair access seats, people uh, not being able to drink beer because they ran out too early. I was at the game. The stadium is also configured in a way where about half of the stadium requires two staircases on both sides of the western side of the arena to access. And so about 20,000 people had to get up two sets of stairs just to get to their seats and then get out. And in all of this, the Avalanche lost. They <coughs> gave up a goal in the last minute and then an empty net goal to lose 3-1. to one. They lost their starting goaltender, Philip Grubauer. They lost Matt Calvert. They'd already lost Kadri, and it hasn't gotten better since then. It has been a rough week for the Colorado Avalanche, and still the biggest topic was how long did you have to wait in traffic for the stadium series, which, once the game was over, got worse. There were people who waited up to four hours to get out of the parking lot. Apparently there was someone who died Oh no! on the north exit. We still don't know exactly what happened there. Are they still trying to clear traffic yeah. to get to them? Jeez. Um, so that caused some problems. There was construction problems. They had to close lanes both ways. And luckily, because I have a friend that reads the website, we took the south gate instead of the north gate. It took us two and a half hours to get there and two hours to get home. Yeesh. I think one of the most comforting things of adulthood is realizing that no one has their shit together. Like the NHL, Air Force Academy, and all of the different organizations that put in money to make this thing happen. It's comforting to know that they can't always get things coordinated very well. It is a little worrying since it feels like traffic control is a big part of the Air Force. <laughs> uh, you know, so China and Russia were watching this like mm. yes it's like oh mm. man glad we got to see this <laughs> but it is it's more of a design issue of the Air Force Academy there are two roads in and two roads out 
which is great for when you have to do training expeditions where you just drop cadets off in the mountains and they're like, find your way home. Not so great when you need to get in there for a football game or a hockey game. I will say that the pageantry at the game was pretty amazing. They had three flyovers. They had someone parachute in with the American flag during the national anthem. Uh, they had all of the cadets sit by the fields and then get to watch Sam Hunt, the big musical act. And it really, as I was watching this, I was looking down. I bought the second cheapest seats. And I think that they were the second best seats in the building. <laughs> because if you paid any more money than we did, you had to sit closer to the ice and could not see the ice because the boards were bl- obstructing the view. People paid $400 to watch players skate and not be able to see the puck. I That's, I mean, as a blue-collar broke-ass... There is some schadenfreude that goes into watching people spend a lot of money and then be dissatisfied. I did see a couple of photos like at rinkside, which wasn't rinkside because it was still probably like 50 yards in between the seats and the rink itself. But yeah, you really just couldn't see much of anything. Well, and I don't know because I couldn't tell next to Folsom Field, but I do know that they have held track events in Air Force Academy. And so unlike Folsom, I think that the seats are further away from the field than they are in some other venues too. Like I think that the uh, area of field is bigger, and so that caused mm. more problems. I so I was left thinking these big events like this and main m- most NFL games, but especially the Super Bowl. Who are they for? And this specifically was clearly not made for the fans. There have been there was talk uh, that the NHL has a contract with the armed forces, so that's why this game was at the Air Force Academy and not the much better venue, Folsom Field in Boulder. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great. It looked great on TV. The uniforms, I think, looked really good on TV. In person, you could not tell who anyone on the Kings were because their numbers blended into their weird slash on the side of their <laughs> uniforms. Um, so if you're going to make made-for-TV events, which is all the outdoor games really are, mm-hmm. shouldn't you treat the fans better? Like, why are you making them pay all this money if you're making an event for TV? I, I mean, that's a million-dollar question. I found it really interesting. More than a million dollars, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, in the NHL, trying to... has to become more marketable, especially in terms of the TV market versus other um, leagues. But I just found it interesting that it became kind of a citywide holiday in that just all of a sudden there were Avs fans everywhere. And, I mean, Avs fans, although not as well seen as Rockies fans and Broncos fans on game days, like, they show up. And it was just interesting all of that Saturday. You just saw people in Avs jerseys, some who clearly couldn't be going to the game, or they were the sad folks who showed up at the end of the third period because they left too late. Um, and it was sort of like an Avalanche fan fest. Like the uh, Avalanche fan club Eurolanche flew in. This was where they made their trip. They do a trip every year. This year they did it around the game. Mm. There were people from Canada who came in. There were people that drove in. Like This was like Avalanche Central, a celebration of Avalanche and some Kings fans. <laughs> and this is this is how you get treated. Yeah, I mean, that's... Really tough. I mean, where did you have a moment of looking around the stadium in your cheapest seats, feeling like, wow, this is special? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really beautiful. Like, the whole outdoor experience, I did love that part. Like, I'm really glad we went. 
Mm-hmm. I'm glad that we experienced it. Um, I went with my dad and some friends, and that was a nice experience. It's one of those events. Um, I think I'll remember the Coors Field one more fondly. Just even even as easy as we had it, it wasn't as easy as that game. And also, it was like 60 degrees during the uh, Colorado Rockies game. This one, definitely below freezing, definitely got some chills. Oh, really? Where you're like, you know, there's a chance. I don't think it's likely at this point that the Avs are going to play Minnesota in the Winter Classic next year, the New Year's game, at, uh-huh. at Target Field in Minnesota. I'm not going to that game. This was enough for me. Yeesh. But I am glad that I did it. And I do think, like, you know, coming being from Colorado, having some friends that have gone to the academy, been in the Air Force, like, that part of it I really did like. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish that they had thought more about who this game was. Like, made it more of a fan experience and not for TV. And I think that another place that always happens is the NCAA tournament games. My dad and I have gone for several years. We've probably gone between the ones here and other places five times, six times. Um, They do not make that event for the fans. It is a TV event. The entertainment between timeouts is like the lowest quality of entertainment (laughs) you can imagine. They have like four trivia questions on the screen where they're like, who won the NCAA championship in 2001? And you know the answer (laughs) because you've already seen it a hundred times. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, It's that low level of entertainment where it's like, this is for TV. This is not for the fans. And I just think, I understand that that's where we're going. We see the best and worst of that because we work at the Broncos stadium where we don't have to pay, but it is, it is grueling to go to an NFL game because it's so long getting there, the traffic, like it's your day. Yeah, totally. And that's, I've never gotten to experience tailgating in its truest form. Mm -hmm. Um, But even that seemed just like pretty tedious, especially in the later months where you have to just commit to being outside, limited bathrooms, and you have to kind of like drink to stay warm to a point. And then all of a sudden you're like, all right, well, it's time to go in. And then that whole procession that happens. Like, there's nothing that feels better than we're coming up the like the service tunnel, and you just see the crush of people, and it's like hard left. <laughs> we don't even have to touch it. Um, that's interesting. I'm trying to think of like what's the worst NBA um, like uh, half uh, timeout entertainment. Yeah. Like the um, Red Panda. She's a G. She's always she always does the right thing. But the uh, Simon Says guy. I'm like, how did you how did you finesse your way into getting checks doing just aggressive kind of mean Simon says? I don't know if this person does it anymore, but did you ever see the human slinky? What? <laughs> it was someone who was in a plastic tube like a slinky that was human sized and they would do slinky tricks with their body so it looked like the slinky was moving. That to me was the worst halftime <laughs> entertainment I ever saw, but also I'm sad that I have not seen it again. <laughs> You're right. You don't know what you got till it's gone. It's like you can't appreciate it the moment, but in the past, you know, it's like, oh man, I really would. I wish I could experience it. Because what the hell is a slinky trick? Like besides going down a flight of stairs, that was basically it. It was just a lot of like that, and like <laughs> sometimes a slinky would split in two, and you'd be like, which side of the slinky is the person <laughs> in? Like it was that level. And I just think. I mean, I get it. It's all about money. We have this with the NFL trying to both expand expand the playoffs and expand the season where you're just like, they want to add a 17th game and they want to add another team on each side of the conferences for the playoffs. And you're just like, it's not broken for the fans, but the money that they can get out of having one extra 
wild card spot and all the teams that might have had a chance. The Broncos would have been in the race two more weeks if they'd had another wild card spot this year. <laughs> I mean, like those on the bubble teams, they don't deserve that hope. No. Like, honestly, like when we're talking about the fans, that would just hurt us more having to like, like that Detroit game and really having to like invest emotion into it. That would suck so much. I feel. Ugh. But yeah, that's um. You mentioned that. I was like, yeah, who was that for? Like the, it felt as if the NFL saw the NBA's um, switch in the All Star game, which was great, by the way. Yeah. And they're like, well, we can do something cool too, guys. Look, like an extra wild card team. Weird. <laughs> well, I, I guess we don't have a point to this story. Just like make the games for the fans. Yeah. True. True. Um, they're they are the ones that are paying for everything you're doing. Well, I think you speaking this from a place of privilege, having a less miserable experience, really solidifies the fact that like they should do something. Because even someone who had an okay experience, you realize that you were lucky to go to the game, and only it took it only took two and a half hours to get. Yes, it was. Only, I only spent four and a half hours in a car, and some people spent three times that, maybe, probably not three times, but close. I know that. Uh, Adrian Dater's car broke down about two in the morning, but it was because it was an electric car. So, <laughs> according to his Twitter, eight miles from home. So, really sorry, Dater. After many, 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 many long days without the Denver Nuggets basketball, the Nuggets play tonight as of recording in Oklahoma City against a Thunder team that is greatly outplaying their. Uh, the assumptions going into the season. Um, although we didn't get Nuggets basketball, we did get to see Nuggets star Nikola Jokic just tear it up during All-Star Week. He seemed to be the have the most fun, and he really couldn't play that much in the All-Star game because it was so fast that it was not Jokic ball. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, like we need to... Uh, we can't have Jokic in there. He can't get up the court. All he can do is inbound the ball, and then the play is over, yeah. which is not a knock against him. It's just like that's not how he plays or how the Nuggets play for a reason. It's like if you center around Jokic, that game goes very differently. Yeah. Um, but he did seem to have a lot of fun. He taught what I think was – or he was the coach for the Unified game, I believe it was called, mm-hmm. and that was a mix of – NBA personalities and uh, special needs uh, players. And he did a really great job as coach. They had a whole highlight reel of him just like yelling a lot, doing his best Michael Malone impression, yelling (laughs) at the refs, encouraging everyone. Uh, Really fun to see that. And just, I felt like the weekend was getting to see the fun, goofy Jokic that we only get to see in clips during the regular season. Yeah. And I just think, Dude just turned to 25. Um, he is realizing how fun it is to be rich playing basketball. And I think he's only sort of famous here in Denver. But he's got a lot of famous friends in LeBron James and James Harden. And now, like, all of them have played each other at least ten times. So you know personalities. It's really cool to see him, like, find his place amongst the NBA elite, but also be accepted in being just like the fun, goofy guy he is. I still think that he should get uh, an Instagram just so we can follow his life a little bit more, but um, 
yeah, it was cool to see him on the national stage, even if he actually didn't get to play that much. Yeah, he was still like a lot of the clips that I saw, and a lot of it was because of um, because I was following Nugget stuff. But like he was goofing around with Doncic, he was doof- goofing around with Harden, he was having fun with LeBron. Like it was clear that. Last year, it was like he went to the All-Star game alone. He didn't really talk to anyone. He had a nice time, but Mm -hmm. he wasn't with the NBA people. And now, this year, it was like, oh, I'm a part of this, which was really cool to see. Like, as, like, what sometimes feels like the best-kept secret in the NBA that Jokic is a top-10 NBA player. Yeah. It's nice to see the other top-10 NBA players acknowledge him that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... I mean, he didn't get a lot of playing time, but Team LeBron won. In it was interesting. Everyone knew that there was going to be some type of Kobe tribute during the All Star game, but it felt like they over uh, complicated it to such almost a hilarious degree. But it ended with an amazing fourth quarter. Like each one team had to reach twenty four points in the quarter, and then it became a back and forth of. Um, a lot of bricks at the end of the game, but then finally ended on a free throw. But you saw Jokic was one of the first down the court to celebrate. And I can only hope that like, he's – we talked about how poor he played at the beginning of the season, which quote-unquote poor. He still played pretty good, just like a little slow and disinterested. I really hope that he gets – this experience of the All-Star game just motivates him through – the final stretch of the regular season into the playoffs. Do you think that they should make, so they call it the Elam rule, which is where they turn off the clock and they put a point total on the board. In this case, it was 24 points in honor of Kobe Bryant. 20, was it 24 or was it 26 points? I think 24. Okay. Um, they did a lot of tributes for his daughter too. Oh, so right, 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 that right. That was part of it. 24 points for Kobe. And then it was the first team to get 24 Two, so they took the total score of the team that was ahead, added 24 points, and that was your new total. That's definitely something they could do at least for overtime during the regular season where they could be like, we're putting 15 points on the board. First to 15 wins. We get rid of double overtimes. That would be pretty cool, yeah. I mean, because yeah, double overtimes are cool and ridiculous, but it's unnecessary. Yeah. Um Especially because the game's over within the first couple minutes. Like, you know who's going to get there with the five minutes because it's like, if you make your first two shots and the other team misses, the game's over. Yeah. I mean, in the game, it runs five minutes is the only amount of time you had. The one knock I had against the style that they did, because each quarter the winning team got a chunk of charity money, is that they had, like, the kids that the charity money was going to damn near courtside. So that, like, towards the end of the game, they just cut it, kept cutting back to LeBron's charity team and Giannis's charity team. And then finally, the bronze kids got to come storm the court. But it's like, oh, y'all just broke that <laughs> those youth's heart. Uh, now they all hate courtside. the Greek freak. I know. Like, it's we didn't get to rush <laughs> the court. Uh, Our lives are hard enough. That's why this was a charity <laughs> thing. <laughs> That just that didn't sit quite all right with me, but I really loved the style and um, props to our star player, best center in the league for his fun time. So we get to see flashes of Jokic like this, mm-hmm. but like especially because he's had some missteps in the media, he doesn't show us this side publicly that much. But we also saw a serious Jokic in the playoffs to a degree that we didn't even know existed. Yeah, last year. So how much of this fun Jokic? do we feel like should be incorporated into the serious Jokic? 
I think, well, the easiest way to have fun in any sport is to win. So if they just stay good, I think we get to see more goofy Jokic. Um, but I, it's he's now in his fifth season. You get to that point where the game slows down for you, and you really do just get to enjoy the fact you're there. He already has so much money guaranteed that I don't think he's he has to play concerned anymore. And you've seen it a couple times, although... He had a decent game against Los Angeles, but he just tried to force it a bit too much because he knew he had the ability to take the game over and win. Um, I think the most fun version on top of winning is one who's getting a lot of assists because his um, teammates are getting shots to land. And so we finally have a damn near kind of mostly healthy team. If Jamal Murray can stay playing well, if Michael Porter Jr. can pick up where he left off before the injury and Barton keeps playing his role, Millsap plays his role, Gary Harris returns from whatever vacation he's been on, um, then I think we get to see the most fun, happiest version of Jokic, who happens to also be the most dominant version. I like that answer. Now we're going to take a quick commercial break. We don't have any commercials, just for the record. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember this, but last year I said that if it turned out that the Rockies were right about their players, the Rockies were going to have a good season. And I don't know if you remember this, but the Rockies did not have a good season. <laughs> and the team batted 230 as a team, which is not good. That any, any individual player batting 230 would be like, that guy needs to get off the team. Whole team. That was the the combined yeah. team's batting average. Everyone, Ian Desmond, last yes. year, and Desmond was above 230. That's how bad the team was. <laughs> um, and they made no moves to their major league roster in the offseason. They're bringing everybody back, and so the question comes now that we've had this offseason of Nolan Arenado being disgruntled. So how do you keep Nolan? The the only answer, you're just sitting there like, I don't know what the answer is. There isn't a really good answer <laughs> no. because the answer is it turns out that the Rockies were right about their players last year. It just didn't work out last year, and somehow it's going to work out this year. I mean, well, the statistic statistics show that the Rockies are due for a 94-win season based off of, I don't know, I, baseball math is hard as hell. According anyway. to someone Dick Monfort knows, they <laughs> should win 94 games this year. Well, <laughs> okay. So is he going to make that person GM now? I, I probably would like his demeanor better than Jeff Breidich. Yeah. I can't imagine him being worse. I don't, so what do you mean exactly that they were right about their players last year? So they have the exact same team coming back other than they've gotten rid of like the Mark Reynolds and Chris Iannettas, the veteran guys. They bring them back, and they... It turns out that everyone was just hurt and had an off year. And that they actually, Jeff Breidich is the smartest GM in the history of Major League Baseball. Nolan Arenado was completely wrong in the way that he assessed it to the point where he has to apologize <laughs> for how wrong he was. That's what we're looking for here. You know, I haven't allowed myself to dream that scenario to be the case, but sure. Okay, we're working off of that scenario. Kyle Freeland and Herman Marquez battling for the Cy Young. Mm, mm. You know, that level of optimism. Chi-Chi Gonzalez, great fist starter here. Um, I will... So, I mean, obviously, I don't think this is going to happen, but I'm just saying, like, this is the best scenario 
and maybe the only scenario for Nolan to still be on the team August 1st. Um, I will say, so some things have happened in the last few days. Apparently Dick Monfort and Nolan Arenado met and Dick promised Nolan that if it turns out that Nolan's right and the team is wrong, they would make some trades this year to make the team better. Additionally, there was some talk that Yasiel Puig might be coming to the Rockies to replace the hole in the outfield that seems to be, they don't think Toppy is the guy. But don't worry, the Rockies said absolutely not. We're not going to improve the team like that. <laughs> and, I mean, there are a lot of knocks against Puig. He is kind of a locker room problem at times. He's kind of, you never know what you're going to get with him. No, but he'd also, the Rockies aren't a very scrappy team. And you know Yasiel Puig, Puig has your back if things are to go down. And I think in his, I think I saw somewhere in his last 80 plate appearances, he's netted 21 runs. So one out of four times at the plate, someone scores. Pretty good for a, a team that seems to, regardless of what the roster makeup, the Rockies are a left-on-base kind of squad. Um, so having a guy who can put people, get people to home, that would be amazing. That seems like an upgrade, yeah. Yeah, certainly an upgrade over everyone who's already there. Well, I mean, so you have Blackman and Dahl are your two outfielders. And, of course, Dahl is the question mark of, is this the year he stays healthy? Mm-hmm. Then you have maybe Desmond is still going to play on the outfield a little bit. He's also your backup first baseman. And then you have Hampson and Hilliard and Tapia. Tapia as your top guy as the other outfield people with Hampson also allowed to play second base maybe, depending on if the Murphy – Desmond experience goes as poorly as it probably is going to go. Yeah. (laughs) If history repeats itself, (laughs) if it turns out the Rockies were not right about their free agents. I mean, like, yeah, how do you make this team better? I I don't think Yasiel Puig puts them over the edge. It certainly doesn't make them now competitive with the Dodgers. But it just feels like you need a mix-up. Because you think about, like, through all of this, how – bad does the team chemistry have to be if everyone knows that their star player doesn't have confidence in them to be a competitor? Well, and even if you don't want to get Puig, why not just pretend like you want to get Puig? (laughs) What does it hurt to be like, no, we're going to try to be in on one thing this year because we've refused to pretend to be in on anything else? And with like so much money that has gotten passed around in the MLB... I think Denver is a better baseball destination than it is a basketball destination. Like We know the Nuggets aren't going to sign high-profile free agents. But I don't think that that stigma exists for the Rockies. No, I mean, especially hitters. Like, hitters, this yeah. is the dream. Justin Morneau won a batting champi- championship here three years before he retired. Kadire, that was a weird thing. Yeah, both Kadire yeah. and Justin Morneau were on the team for a hot second. Yeah, they both just came in, won some batting titles, and left. Like, that's that's the dream of hitters. Yeah. Um, so, spring training will have started before our next podcast. Uh, we're recording this Friday evening. Saturday, we finally get to see the team on the field. The big hope, Ybaldo Jimenez is throwing. Maybe he's <laughs> going to be on the roster. Drew Butera trying to get that backup catcher spot. Ooh, ooh, ooh. There is intrigue on this team. And Wade Davis proclaimed the closer, despite the fact that he was so bad last year. Has Wade Davis said anything about this? I'm sure he has. I've, I can't say that I've 
followed too closely. <laughs> Follow the main thing I've, I've followed is that Ian Desmond's hair is out of control. And I was super excited today because I wanted to know how he was going to get the hair under his hat. <laughs> and it is sort of like a poking out thing, at least in the pictures I saw today. I got like viscerally upset. Like This guy is too handsome for his own good. And he's like, the older dude, his hairline is still immaculate. If only he could channel his batting into his good looks, then we'd have no problems. But the fact that he may be the only free agent you can point to, it's like, okay, I guess he still belongs on the team. Because I don't even think you mentioned, like, Brendan Rodgers, who has been, like, the number one guy in the farm system for how long now? Like, four years. He, his, uh, I think, soldier's surgery hasn't gone well enough yet. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to talk about the Rockies as um, training camp is starting because you just, you don't have anything new to talk about and the expectations are too high for what you know is going to be the case. We'll see. The Diamondbacks shouldn't be good this year. And no, they're, they're going to have some company there at Salt River Fields. Uh, I think Salt River it. should be changed to something less depressing. Yeah, it is a beautiful place. Someday we should do a Denver road trip to Salt oh, River Fields. Nice. Um, all right, well, let's turn our attention to the happiest place in Colorado, the Buffaloes and their football team, the Dow Ward Center, oh, boy. the Championship Center. Uh, they just, every bit building has a name, and none of those buildings have a head coach. <laughs> I... I mean, there isn't a lot to say. I have a, a few thoughts, but last night CU played uh, basketball against USC, ended up winning that game. They're in sole possession of first place in the Pac-12. Mm. Tad Boyle has done everything right. He has been the coach now for a decade, and this may be the best team he's had. Like They are the 18th seed right now. They're battling for a top-four seed. They've only won one NCAA game under his tenure. But this could be the year they go to the Sweet 16. Like, that's what we're looking at here. And you're looking at this coaching search, and you're like, what I would like is the next Tad Boyle for football. Mm -hmm. The guy that is going to stay. So you look at the alumni, and really the only notable alumni who they could bring in is Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Super Bowl winning Kansas City Chiefs, no less. With Patrick Mahomes and all he's done with that offense. Unfortunately, uh, Eric Bieniemy was the offensive coordinator for the Buffs in the uh, John Embry years, two years. Uh, part of the problem, it seemed, was the way that Bieniemy wanted to uh, create a pro-style offense in college. Mm -hmm. That was one of the many issues that they had. And they were unceremoniously fired after two seasons, which you look back at and you're like, that was a mistake, given <laughs> what's happened since then. Yeah, I mean, well, Bienemy is interesting because he's like a big Colorado name. He was a one of the national championship players, um, and someone that loves CU. Yeah, like there are a few guys that love CU more. It doesn't matter. He said he doesn't want to be the coach. Well, I mean, that's a tough thing. It's one he's already been here and left on less than positive terms, and now he like his two best choices are. Like, go to Jacksonville or some city and become the head coach and maybe become good. Or just stay with what is already a great thing. Like, 
both Mahomes and Bienemy benefit from being around one another to the point like, okay, I could get a new job, make more money, but if I just stay with Kansas City, anytime I want to leave, I can. And and he's in line for the job there because he's sort of in a Josh McDaniel situation. Yeah. When uh, Andy Reid decides to retire, which some people thought might have been after this year, I think he's having too much fun to <laughs> want to retire over the next couple of years. Then the enemy can have that job. He's only fifty. That's you know, in Broncos coaching terms, he still <laughs> has twenty to thirty years <laughs> left to coach. Um, which, so I mean, I get it. And it was funny. Lindsey took uh, Philip. Lindsey took. Vic Fangio to the Buffs game last night. So they were sitting courtside on one t- one side. And then John Elway with like a bunch of his friends were on the other side. So it was Ooh. just like Broncos courtside. Terry Fry made a good joke that it was like if uh, the PA announcer asks if there are any football coaches in the arena, Vic Fangio is going to have to duck his head. <laughs> and that was where the search was. Because we also found out that uh, Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator for Alabama, had played the Buffs to get a contract extension. And Mar Money as the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Yeah, I mean that sucks because that just that solidifies CU as a stepping stone. But I'm infinitely less mad at Sarkeesian than I am Tucker, Tucker. because like Sarkeesian didn't know anybody anything, and that was that was a weird thing when his name popped up. But I mean he's a good coach that had some um, substance abuse issues, and I think that's like painted a lot of his. Um, and he was it was at USC where he was successful, so Pac-12 recruiting. Yeah, that would have been cool. I don't know. Do you give it to give the head coach, the full-time head coach job to part-time or interim head coach, Darren Cheverini, just because at this point, he's the guy who wants to stick around. And at some point, if you wait too long, then it kind of like burns him too. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, because the other big name was Troy Calhoun, who is the best football coach in the state up at Air Force. And he... I don't know. We don't know. It seems that he was at one point maybe offered the job, according to some reporting. Yeah. Vic Lombardi uh, tweeted about that yesterday. But we don't know if he was actually offered it or if it was just conversation. And then he was uh, rude to a bunch of reporters about uh, whether he was going to take the CU job. And it seems like that has fizzled out because CU is now looking at other candidates. So to me, and Calhoun's, the big drawback against him was would he be able to recruit uh, the big names that they need. Yeah. Cheverini has been lauded for his recruiting, and they have, you know, they had a top 40 recruiting class this year. If you keep him, you might be able to keep a lot of those guys. And to me, that seems worth it for the year. You say, Cheverini's the guy for the year. If we get into John Embry territory and he loses all but one or two games, we're going to reevaluate this in November when everybody is looking for coaches and we can compete with all these other coaches. But yeah, to me, that's the right move because the problem is if you do anything else and you screw this up, you're stuck with these guys for three years. There is no pressure on just keeping Cheverini for the rest of the year if it doesn't work out. Yeah. And I mean, this year kind of feels like a wash. Well, one, you hope that the basketball team achieves to the point that there's no expectations on the football team. And then, I mean, you have to like rebuild integrity and loyalty. There's not going to be nearly as many expectations as Buffs fans had even last year. They just want, I think, like a few good emotional games, ones where they fight hard, and you can all that's a good scapegoat. It's like, well, our coach spurned us. So, yes, the team doesn't look good. I think the stakes won't ever be lower if you want to maintain a competitive football team. 
let the guy who's been on the squad for like what 20, 30 years at this point. He's been in and out, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like a well-known face and a guy who you can trust that he's not going to – I don't think Eastern Carolina is going to be able to, like, slide in and be like, hey, here's some money. Come play with us and wherever Eastern Carolina is. No, I think he is, like, the Tad Boyle model where if it worked out, he would stay at CU, which Mm -hmm. I think is – I don't think you can build a program if your head coach is leaving every two to three years. People disagree with me on this, but to me – CU needs to get out of being a stepping stone job, even if it means reevaluating what kind of coaches they can get. Yeah. If they could build the Tad Boyle of the Pac-12 in football, where they're making bowl games, you know, more than half of the years, maybe winning some, and then maybe building a team that can compete for the Pac-12 championship, mm-hmm. that's where CU football is at this point. The one thing that makes me sad is that I've been waiting 10 years for CU to return to Colorado State to redeem when the CSU students got to storm the field at Folsom <laughs> my freshman year, and it's looking like we're not going to win that game. I, I mean, CSU's got on the radar, but with their new coach and the doodliness energy he brings, um, I think CU still has a better, a more talented football team. It just matters like how they get coached. It'll be interesting. When I was in Fort Collins, I did walk to the stadium, and it's a very conveniently placed stadium like i would love to live in those villages and just walk on over um that was the whole thing we need an on-field stadium and we know the guy that makes hot chocolate up at csu so if we if we end up going to that game we'll be we'll be set that would it would still be, it would be like early september it would be quite an off-putting to have <laughs> i don't chocolate. know i could see that game being at like 9 p.m oh true that um yeah it's it is cool that basketball is taking a front and center um in the CU universe, anyway. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the main problem is, it is cool. It's just the money is behind the football team. Mm-hmm. And so that will always be, that will always be CU's first sport, as long as we have the boosters that we have up in Boulder. And I hope that they are pressuring Rick George at this point to just stay the course with Cheverini because I don't think there's a better option out there right now. No, no. You don't want to look desperate. No. So that's it for the Denver's this week. I'm Derek. I'm Quinn. We'll see you next time. Peace.